Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine where we're chatting to Katie Marsh who has swapped genre for her new novel with very intriguing reasons why and we'll talk about that. The new book is called How Not to Murder Your Ex. We discuss why her main focus for the workspace is making sure it's utterly distraction free. Also why she holds herself back for two months before starting to write and you can hear how her writing process has changed moving genre from romance to crime. I think my approach was probably more technical than for romance. Um, I think, you know, if you take the premise of my first book, which was about a a woman who's about to leave her husband and then he has a stroke and she has to stay in care for him. And that's kind of a much more emotionally driven plot, whereas crime is obviously finding the clues, working out the inconsistencies, figuring out the motives. There's a real energy to that that I find really fun to work through. Um, And it gives me certainly an energy and a kind of intellectual challenge as an author that I really enjoy. Um, It's not that they weren't there with romantic fiction. It's just that I, I feel at the moment for me, this is the right fit. There is more with Katie Marsh in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, welcome along to the show. My name's Dan Simpson and this is Writer's Routine where we take a look through an author's working day. We see how they get stuff done. We unpack how they plan their space, their day, everything else in their life to give them the best chance of getting words down onto the page. And for a little while, we are sponsored by a software that can give you the best chance of getting your words down onto the page. Plotter are supporting the show this week. If you missed the fantastic offer earlier on in the year, you can make the most of it now. 10% off the software at go.plotter.com slash routine. Plotter is a writing tool that lets you outline faster and organize smarter. Plotter plots. Who'd have thought it? When you open it up, you get a digital corkboard and you can keep track of everything on there like you would in a thorough, thick notepad, but it's all there on the screen. Really easy for you to swap between tabs and colour-coded notes on characters and places and outlines and timelines. You've got all that on the screen in front of you, so you don't need to spend ages wasting time and energy rifling through haphazard notebooks that are stored halfway around your house it lets you track all the details of your plot at a minute scene level so you can switch and swap and use them however you like plotter is a software that lets you spend more time writing and less time worrying about everything else the best way for you to see what it does Check out how stunning it looks and how helpful it can be is by getting to go.plotter.com slash routine and taking a look around. Because while you're there for a little while, you can get 10% off the software with this show. The deal doesn't last forever, though, so be sure to make the most of it. I have stuck the link in the episode notes wherever you're listening to. It's go.plotter.com slash routine. This week on the show, we are chatting to Katie Marsh. Katie has published five romantic fiction novels, Unbreak Your Heart, The Rest of Me, The Beautiful Life, A Life Without You, My Everything, and now has switched genre to try and crack crime. Uh, And I think you'll find the reason why she's done that incredibly honest and and 
pretty unique, actually. We get really into it in this chat. Her new book is called How Not to Murder Your Ex. It's out now. It's the first in the Bad Girls Detective Agency series. And it starts early in the morning on Cleo's 45th birthday. She opens her front door to find that her hated ex is lying dead on her doorstep. And, well, Cleo has never been shy of saying how much she hates her ex and how much she would like him dead. So naturally, when there is no accident, someone's killed him, uh, pretty quickly the blame falls on her. We talk about why she swapped viewpoints while writing the story and how that really came from loathing the character Gary the dead ex. Also, you can hear why she holds back for two months before starting to write. She really gets the planning down and how that's quite a new thing for her too. We chat through why she strives to be distraction-free, whether inspirational quotes written around the uh, the space ever work. And, well, there's a lot to take away from this chat. I think you'll really enjoy it. I will say, though, as a disclaimer, right before we get into it, uh, if your name is Gary, well, sorry, if someone's close to you, is called Gary. Uh, sorry. We really mean no offence. It's good fun. Let's get into it with what Katie sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. Well, right now, I'm actually not in the place where I write because where I write is deliberately an internet dead spot because uh, I'm right at the end of the house, above the garage, in a room that I think of as a writing room but is in reality the the spare room where everything is dumped, including like vast amounts of washing. So normally when I'm writing, I can see the washing all around me. And uh, but out of the window, I can see a tree. Um, other people's houses, can't lie, do occasionally, you know, watch what everyone else is up to on my street. Um, and I have a corner desk. It's white um, with lots of little drawers in it which are full of quite kind of writery stuff like post-its, um, record cards, endless pens in pots, that kind of thing. I, uh, it sounds strange, doesn't it? But in the year 2023, I think it must be quite hard to write without any access to the internet, just because every now and then you surely need to look something up, which sounds ridiculous because... Like 30 years ago, that people were writing fantastic books without any internet. So what's going on if you do need to do some research? Is it a thing that you have to do right at the start? Do you kind of make a mental note, bank it and come back to it later? Well, I I am em- I'm just endlessly distractible. So I, I knew that I needed to be away from that major source of distraction. So all I have to do is get up and uh, walk to the top of the stairs, which is, oh, I don't know, whole five, six paces away. And then I, I perch at the top of the stairs and look up whatever I'm looking up. You know, obviously now I write crime, I'm looking up things like, you know, poisons and other delightful things. Um, so, um, yeah, it's not, it's not a long mission, but it's enough of a mission to make me kind of not do it. Uh, most of the time that's a really great idea it's it's a it's just that little bit of a barrier to make you double think is this something i need to do might this waste five minutes of my time i guess yes exactly and also you know i'm a midlifer firmly a midlifer and so you need to move around a bit you don't want to get too stuck in the chair things start clicking when you move so um i definitely uh find that movement quite valuable um, and, you know, it stops me doing author things that we all pretend we don't do, like, you know, checking Amazon rankings, checking Ruby, all that stuff that just really doesn't help anything at all. Um, it stops me doing that in the, in, at the spot where I write. You mentioned you've got like writing detritus around you with pens. Uh, uh, is there anything practical that lets you know what you're there to do? The plot that you're working on around you? I mean, like post-it notes, notepads, anything like that? Yeah, I'm a big post-it fiend. So um, I plot on a wall using post-its. Again, my approach has changed quite a lot since I started writing crime. So I've just, I've just, my my crime debut is out very soon. Um, And I've changed my approach quite a lot. But um, yeah, I still use post-its. I still track my plot that way. So plot points on post-its, chapter by chapter, are on the wall beside me, along with Anything that I need to add in in different drafts, things that I'm conscious are missing. I draft and redraft a lot. So I add stuff in at each stage. 
to clarify or to add depth to character or to add color. Um, so yeah, very much post-its. I also have a cardboard word count chart that uh, my husband made me in lockdown when I was trying to write a romantic novel while homeschooling, which was just just a, a total challenge every single day. Not the most romantic vibes in lockdown with a two-year-old attached to your leg the entire time. Um, so I've got that next to me. I've got, I've got, um, and yeah, I think that's, that's kind of the most writing-y things that I have. I have a few things the kids make me when I'm having a rough day with it and they make me kind of encouraging pictures or things like that as well, just to kind of keep me going when times feel hard. I'm always fascinated by like the consciousness of inspirational things around us. You know, like when people have quotes on their wall, I, I often wonder, I like, I, I don't know if that would help me it, seeing a quote, for instance, that says, uh, you know, you're stronger than yesterday, whatever it is. Uh, like looking at that, I don't know how much that would really help me. When you see uh, pictures that your children have made you, uh, how does that help you focus on what you're there to do? Well, I think um, it reminds me kind of a lot of parenting. I kind of think is about modeling the kind of life that you might want them to live or the kind of aspirations you might want them to have or the, or the, to trust them in themselves in a way that kind of helps them best through life. So I think when, when your daughter's made you a kind of wanted poster, one of them is wanted the end of mum's book, um, big reward offered. It kind of just makes you think brilliant. I, this is who I'm doing it for. You know, I've, she knows I love writing. She knows that telling stories is a vacation for me. It's not really a choice. And, um, and so she, she, she's made me something that'll make me laugh and also motivate me. So I find that really helpful. You're absolutely, I mean, I would, I would agree with you. Motivational quotes from random person who I've never met doesn't motivate me at all. It's much more like to make me think, oh, I'm not, you know, just it's much more like to irritate me to be frank <laughs> but stuff for my kids helps a lot um so yeah that's why i surround myself with that and uh, we're very interested in the technology at play so what are you writing on and, and what what font do you write with katie oh you love a font i love a font chat um i write on um a mac uh book um, I do move around the house quite a lot with it, depending on my mood. But yeah, mainly I write at my desk on a MacBook. I use my font is Times New Roman, which I think is quite dull, but it works for me. I did at times, and we'll probably talk about, I don't know if we're going to talk about why I changed genre, but when I was struggling with my past genre of romantic fiction, I did experiment with a few different fonts to try to liven things up when I was really, really stuck. Um but it just didn't really work for me. It's got to be a Times New Roman look for me. It's just just how I think of books. Um, a twelve size twelve Times New Roman. Um, uh, yeah, that's, not that's, feeling that's, that. That's, uh, it's uh, it's not the most exciting answer I've ever been given. No, I, think. I know. Well, fair play. I mean, like I experimented with Comic Sans MS when I was really getting desperate and stuck on a romantic book, and that felt a bit wild. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm a Times New Roman girl through and through. Other technology that I use, I use a program called Pacemaker, which is free, which basically you tap into it how much you want to write every day. And then it uh, rewards you with, with kind of fireworks and balloons when you hit that amount. Um, again, just <laughs> any motivation is a good motivation for me. So I like that a lot. I track my progress through that. The whole thing looks like uh, school run back 9.15 um, and then it theoretically writing through till uh, till school pickup, which is around 2.45. So it's not a long day, but it is five days a week. Um, I am pretty disciplined, actually. I have to be because I am kind of in our family. I'm default parent. So if any kid is ill or anything's going on, I am the person that covers that. So I kind of any day that I have that is mine is really precious. So I would normally write for the majority of that time. So kind of four or five hours uh, between, between drop off and pick up. And I would probably, I don't know, it depends what phase I'm at. I'm really different in terms of what I'm aiming at, depending on where I am in the writing process, because I redraft so much. 
Um, so I do a super dirty and quick and messy first draft. But before that, I do about two months of planning um, to get my characters and my plot set in my head so it all works. That's really... That, that, um, like redrafting so extensively and having a dirty draft on the back of like quite thorough planning that's a balance that I don't think I hear that often I know it's unusual I think um but it works for me and I think what I did I learned a lot from the five romantic novels that I wrote and were were published um because I used to just dive in to a first draft and just just really struggle to make all the elements fit together and work. I think there's such a challenge in romantic fiction around keeping the plot moving. You know, that midsection where you're basically throwing up roadblocks between the two people in your plot who are going to get together. Um, and I used to just get horribly stuck. And honestly, I used to get the biggest structural edit notes back for those books. They would, there's one where I dropped 80,000 words after the structural edit and basically hacks out a couple of characters rewrote it with new characters. It was just always massive and overwhelming. So when I moved into crime, I thought, no, I need to do this differently. And actually the, the cooking it up for a really long time before I write anything really helps. Crime is so, it's so important that your plot flows, makes sense, that your character's motives are clear and convincing. I'm cozy crime, so I'm at the funny end of crime, but it's still so important that, that the plot fires. And so the the two months, and it does always feel like a really long time. I'm always kind of holding myself back in terms of don't write anything, just don't um, get it working first. Just means that that first draft comes out really fast. So then my first draft is about six weeks it takes, and it's very short. And then I in I edit and I edit and I edit, and I add in color, character, depth, all those kind of things at that point, and a lot of jokes. Um, and I find that really works. It just, it, and my structural edit notes for my crime books have been far, far less painful than my previous experiences. And I think that is why. So I'm working out who did it, why they did it, how they did it. And then I work backwards, add in red herrings, add in distraction, befuddlement, shady characters. Um, but all of that is fixed before I write the first line. Right. So I've got a whole bunch of questions based on just that one answer um i i once spoke to the author Anne cleaves who was very very uninterested in the idea of plotting she she said why why would i want to do this twice why would i want to learn the story twice effectively is what she said um in your two months of planning before the crime book um did 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 that ever kind of get a bit boring that you were thinking, well, I just want to get ahead and tell this now. I don't know what I'm waiting around for. I don't know why I'm holding it off. Surely I know enough. Um, it never got boring, but it's always tempting to get words on the page because then you feel like you're progressing like an author should be. Um, I think that for me, I really love editing. I know this makes, this makes me extremely unusual. All my writer friends just roll their eyes when I say this, but I adore it. I love having something on the page that I can make better. Um, and I make, I can absolutely feel kind of third or fourth edit. It's normally where I'm like, yeah, we're getting there. This is now getting to be as good and as funny and as pacey as it should be, as, as I want it to be. Um, and so it never feels boring because also twists come in. So my second crime book, which is out next year, has a double twist in it. And, and the second part of that twist came through um, in kind of the third draft. I hadn't thought of it until that point. So it's not that the plot is totally fixed. It's just that extra things can come in in the different drafts. So I'm never bored. Um, and <laughs> my readers won't be either. But yeah, I think... I think every author has their way. This is my way. It works. And I'm, I'm very much enjoying working with that whole thinking process first. It avoids for me the panic later when I'm like, oh, goodness me, I've got X there and Y there. And he's got a knife and she's got a gun. And I can't, I can't make it all fit. Well, quite a blunt question. Well, it might sound blunter than I mean it. So on... 
uh, like on on your days, your 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 busy, well, your five hour work days, right? Five days a week in the two months that you are planning. But like, simply, what are you doing? Like, are you, are you just, like I, know, I know that's I know that sounds really. Funny. My husband often asks the same question. Are you just kind of sat there, you know, twirling the invisible mustache, waving a pencil in the air? Like, uh, like I don't really get what you're doing for five hours. Like, and I know that sounds very blunt, and I apologise, but I'm just really interested in that back end of things. <laughs> Um, what I'm doing is I've, I've got my what if. So let's take it one. The what if is what if a woman has told everyone she wants to kill her ex and then he turns up dead on her doorstep on page one. I'm taking that and I'm going all the different ways I possibly could with it. All the ways he might have ended up there. All the ways um, I'm building my characters as well. So I'm doing character. I, I like to know my characters very well down to like what they drink, when they go out to what they do when they've got a night on their own at home, what they wear, all that stuff. Um, so I'm building the characters in one area I'm, and I'm literally writing out documents about them and I'm choosing images for how they look. Like I'm pretty, I have a kind of library that, I, that goes with the series of like each character, who they are, what they look like, everything, what they listen to. That's one area. And then plot wise, yeah, I'm literally going, okay, so who did uh, kill him? Why? Uh, how? And then I'm working out all the ways that you could find out all the clues that you could follow to work that out so that my three detectives can then follow those clues. I'm dismissing a lot of ideas. I am having a lot of fun with the ideas, like having a lot of really stupid ideas. I'm also walking a lot. I find walking incredibly helpful for kind of figuring out plot stuff. It's kind of an author cliche, but I have a dog. I walk the dog a lot. Um, She enjoys the plotting phase because I'm very much out and about. Um, I'm also um, just thinking about it the whole time. I'm, I'm, I don't stop thinking about books while I'm plotting them. They're always cooking. Um, in a way, it's kind of the best bit about being an author. In a way, it's probably the most annoying element of an author to live with. Sometimes my kids are like, hello, <laughs> staring off into space or looking at the knife rack going, oh, maybe that could work. Um, so I'm doing a lot of that. It's, it's kind of, it's probably, as I said, my husband's frequently like, are you working? It's not evident that you are working. Um, I also mind map a lot. So I, I then, once I have the idea that I'm going to follow, I then map it out on paper in a lot of detail. Um, literally circle to circle to circle. How's it all working? And how do you feel during that part of it? I know that... I Because I, well, I work freelance around different like, radio things. And, and when I've got a day where I am doing more of the admin side of being a freelancer. I feel a bit bad. I feel a bit guilty that I'm maybe not pulling my weight or doing what I should be doing, um, even though it's completely necessary. And I I wondered if that was the same for you. Like in your planning stage, this is absolutely necessary to making sure your plot is as tight as it can be before you get it down. But yet it's not like physical writing. So uh, for that moment, so how do you feel when you're, uh, walking the dog and you're ruminating about well you know why this person's dead how, how do you feel at that point um i feel two things what i feel really lucky that gets used for a living because it really is you know as you say it's kind of not in any way there are no visible results at this point um i feel really lucky but secondly i feel really buzzing because my brain loves this stuff i love working stuff out i love making things fit and i kind of Every now and then I get incredibly fearful that I won't figure out how to make something work. Um, I'm currently wrestling with a locked room thing for book three and I have no idea I'm going to make it work, but I will have to. Um, But mainly I'm just, I don't know, there's always a a point where it clicks. Um, But I'm well aware that to the majority of people, my job just looks like a kind of load of airy fairy nonsense. Um, When I'm walking the dog and saying, I'm thinking really hard. it's it's where I guess there's the biggest uh, gap between what my husband does, a kind of reactive management job, and and me sitting there staring out the window. Let me just ask you a question about your dirty draft. I'm very interested in this. So uh, it, let me pull up the... Um, you sent me a copy of How Not to Murder Your Ex. So the first sentence of it is... And this, like, this isn't a spoiler because you touched on this and it's the point of the book. But anyway, the first sentence is, on the many occasions Cleo had imagined murdering her husband, it had never been anything like this. 
what would the state of that be in your dirty draft? How similar would that be to what we're getting? You mentioned as uh, in in the last few minutes that you're going back, that you're drafting, you're adding colour, you're adding purpose, you're adding mystery, red herrings. How much does a sentence and a paragraph change from your dirty draft towards the end? What is it looking like right at the start? Interesting. That was that line actually came to me when I first had the idea. Um, so that was the one thing that remained exactly the same throughout. Um, for me, I love a good, I love a banging first line. So, um, but so once it doesn't change, however, the rest of that paragraph completely changed. Um, so initially she didn't have any of the thoughts that she has in that paragraph. Initially, she was already trying to kind of, uh, move the body <laughs> because she was panicking so much. Um, so an awful lot changed and, and, yeah, I think I think that book because I wrote it for me and it wasn't under contract and I didn't and yeah, I I at that point actually didn't even have an agent for it. I just totally wrote it for me and so it went through eight or nine drafts that one um to really get it working. So it was it was it just had to be as good as it could be so that I could set up a new a new um career for myself in crime rather than women's fiction. Um, but yeah, an awful lot of other things changed in that whole paragraph and that whole chapter. When you're writing the dirty draft, are you perfectly happy to say something like, at this point, Cleo does this, fill in later, and then you'll come back to it as you go along? Yes, there are an awful lot of placeholders of like, something really funny happens here. And they, they do something stupid with the body or like Gary does something appalling or whatever. You know, there was there was a lot of, you know, the Gary chapters which are interspersed. So I've actually unusually for cozy crime it's got the dead person in the countdown to when they die um and he's an appalling human being so much fun to write but i would just kind of often have gary does something absolutely terrible um and then i'd kind of go off walk for a bit and then dream it up later and just stick it in as a comment and then when i redrafted i would add it all in there's a lot of that going on let's just get back to the working day when you finish when you're picking the kids up from school and uh, you, you then get to a, a, another very busy part of your day. H- how good are you at kind of switching off when you're when you're dealing with family? As you said, you're the default parent. So h- how good are you at, <laughs> you know, not thinking about ways that Gary is an asshole and like thinking about your kids? <laughs> um, I'm actually really good. My kids are quite chatty. Uh, it's, quite, it's quite hard to ignore my children. Um, I've got a five-year-old and eleven-year-old, so um, yeah, they, they cover all the gamut of things that go on with children. Um, I really like hanging out with them; they're quite funny and um, and they're playful, and they they're obsessed with football. And so I play a lot of football with them. Um, and so I don't like football. I should just put that out there. I'm talentless in the extreme, but I'm kind of comedy football mum who has no talent. So um, I do a lot of that, and I don't find it difficult to switch off at all. But as I said, it would always be percolating somewhere so every now and then I'll kind of scribble something somewhere hope I find it later and um and just kind of park it until either they're asleep or until the next morning depending on what I'm doing um but yeah they're, they're good distractions I find the small people <laughs> and just the last question about your your working day when, when you're when you're in writing mode and you've got these five hours to play with you say they need to be full on um I guess, how full on is it? Are you pretty good at sitting there for five hours and just relentlessly writing? You've you've managed to push distractions away. How well has that worked? Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm not (laughs) perfect at it. Um, But I think it's just, I just really honestly genuinely treasure the days that I have because they're actually not that many. If you look across the school term, you you know, you lose at least two or three weeks due to illness most of the time or something else or you know, there's family stuff going on as well. You know, it's, it's, there's always some stuff coming up. So you lose, I lose anyway, a fair few days to things like that. So when I do get the chance, I would work pretty much solidly nine till 12 at least or nine, you know, and then bit of lunch, bit of a wander and then get back to it before I pick them up. So I am disciplined. I have learned that if I'm not disciplined, I have enormous deadline crises that make nobody's life better, particularly my family's. So um, I am really super disciplined. Having said that, you know, I do wander around and, you know, on the internet or get obsessed with a TV show and have to watch it all. But on the whole, I wouldn't, I'm pretty good. I say my, whether my family would agree, I don't know, but I think I'm pretty disciplined. <laughs> 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. We'll be back with more from Katie in just a sec. If you're enjoying the show, remember you can always support us. You can pledge to help the show out. Uh, it's really just me that works on this, trying to bring you as many episodes as I can with some of the best authors around. And you can pledge to help us at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. For that, you get merch. There is bonus content. There is a way for your book to sponsor this show too. And whatever's going on, you get our eternal thanks simply for being there. Just a few dollars a month. It helps me carry on giving the time to bring you these chats. And you can help that carry on by supporting and pledging to support us over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it then chatting with Katie Marsh about her new novel, How Not to Murder Your Ex. In this part, we chat through the writing of the book, all the little details about the character, the plot and switching viewpoints, mainly because she hates Gary. Also, so you can hear how much she's learned by writing crime and whether she'll take those lessons with her if she goes back to writing romantic fiction. And we get back into it, uh, chatting through the big genre change. Why did she go from heartbreaking romantic novels to fun crime stories? Why make the big move? And it's a real reminder that so much happens in our lives and writers' lives that, of course, impacts the creativity that we want to put out there. I had written five romantic novels. My last one was published in 2021. And when I say romantic novels, they are romantic. They're also incredibly in-depth emotionally. So they're real heartbreaker, poignant, make you laugh, make you cry, huge emotional roller coaster novels. And the, the last one that I'd written was called Unbreak Your Heart. And it was about a little boy who has a heart condition and believes he's going to die and wants to find his dad someone to love before he passes. So, you know, it's big, you know, it, it was, there were huge feelings behind that book. And it took a lot out of me writing the book. Like I said, I wrote it in the pandemic while homeschooling, which was really difficult. And that was the one that had the big structural edit on as well. Um, I love romantic fiction. I read it all the time and I'm really passionate about it. But what happened was in my life at the time, I was, I was beginning my sixth romantic book. Um, but there was just so much going on in my real life. That was basic. My real life was effectively feeling like one of my books. So I won't go into too much detail, but essentially my daughter has a lot of surgery. There was an awful lot going on that year around her. And there was an awful lot going on around my other child who just didn't sleep. So I was basically absolutely drained of everything at that point. And the one thing I could think of, I genuinely woke up one morning. I was also menopausal. And it was just like, there was so much going on. I woke up at 3 a.m. one day, boiling hot, um, and just had this idea for, for how not to merge your ex. It was there, crystal clear. What would happen if you wanted to merge your ex? And then, you know, they, they, would, they were murdered. Um, and I just, something about the idea really appealed to me and it made me smile. And at that point, I needed a different, I needed a contrast between my real life and my writing life. And I needed my writing life 
to bring me joy and a sense of fun and a sense of freshness as well. I knew that if I couldn't just carry on writing huge emotional plot lines and living huge emotional plot lines. So really, due to the intervention of several very good author friends who I adore, um, and and the people around me, it was just it just became really obvious that the only thing that was going to bring me the joy was pursuing cozy crime and writing how not to murder your ex, and it was so such a joy to do. Just the fun and the jokes and the puzzle of it really distracted me from you know everything I was pouring into my real life um, from all the challenges that were going on there, and so that's how it started. It's it absolutely isn't that I'm sick of romantic fiction. I love it. It was just that I needed a contrast between my real life and what I was writing. And I needed fun and I needed to celebrate the friendships that were helping me through such a difficult time in my life. And I think if I'm ever asked to describe how not to murder your ex, I call it kind of a love letter to female friendship with dead bodies because that's what it is. Um, It's about all those friends who are there for you no matter what, no matter how hard it is, no matter what you need, they are there. And that's what I was experiencing in my real life. But yeah, I wanted to celebrate it on the page. And what's unique, perhaps, about being an author is that uh, many people, if they want to dip their toe into something to provide some light relief as to what's going on in their own life, they can do that for fun, as you say. But for you, it needs to be more than fun because... You need you need to pay bills with it, right? So, like, how, how did you how did you in very initially still treat it as fun, but treat it seriously enough that you knew that this would need to get you a contract and it would need to sell copies because you needed to pay a like a mortgage? Like, how how did your how did you deal with approaching this joyful thing in quite a serious manner? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um... I was very disciplined about it. I think that's probably where my, my ethic now comes from because I had to prove to my husband that I was going to make this work. He was very, very supportive. Um, but I really needed to, to show to, I think I just, he wasn't asking me to show him, but I felt I wanted to show him this was going to work. Um, so I was incredibly disciplined. I wrote, wrote fast. I wrote late. I wrote in the mornings. I wrote in the evenings. The routine went out the window. I was just like, right, I'm going to do this whenever I can. Um, and I researched, you know, I read a lot of crazy crime. I researched agents when it came to that point. Um, and I really did kind of show a dedication to it that was, that was, I think, really, um, it really made all the difference actually when it came to going on submission. Um, and also I think people around me could just see how much fun I was having, you know, Max, my husband would just basically go, wow, you're really, you're really just looking really happy. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, you know, I told some, I really enjoyed writing this chapter today because this happened and blah, blah, blah. So I, you know, we, we did have to do some pretty serious maths to make it work. We, we did take a gamble. You know, I was halfway to 90 at this point. I was 45. I was like, oh, and I did have moments where I just wondered, what on earth have I done? Of course I did. Um, and was very conscious of, of the, the gamble that I had taken. But at the same time, being halfway to 90 maybe makes you go, I'm going to make this count. I'm going to have some fun because... I can and because I want to and because actually my whole family operates better when I am enjoying what I do for a living. So that was the how did you approach like your life and the aspect of telling the story in switching genre? How did that change the way you approached actually the writing of the thing? Because writing and plotting and planning a cozy crime novel is must be completely different from a romantic fiction. And you said that you did a lot of research for this. What did that research teach you about how actually this story needed to be approached? It was, I talked to a lot of writers, actually. That was probably my first port of call. I'm fortunate, you know, I know I've built up a network and I have people who are just incredibly helpful. And certainly initially I was like, how do you plot a crime novel? And that's where, you know, I was told, work out you know the who the why and the where and, the, and then work backwards from that and add in all the distractions so that was kind of my first point and then 
Yeah, it's so different writing the two. There's a natural energy to crime fiction that I found very appealing. You know, the short chapters, the fact, you know, ending on a cliffhanger whenever you can, um, a big finish that's visual. Um, I talked to a few editors as well who were all really helpful as well. Um, and then the fact that with cozy crime, you really want um, kind of a, a feeling of characters that people want to spend time with. So uh, a choosing choosing my, my leading trio of women who are kind of very old friends, they're best friends since they weren't picked for PE at school. They've got a lot of history together. They're my kind of age. They're experiencing all the midlife stuff that I'm experiencing um, and making sure that those those characters would be one character would be familiar for every reader, pretty much. So there's kind of a career woman who who has just been fired, and then there's an IVF mum who hasn't slept for a year, and then there's you know a failed actress who is you know has the biggest heart, but also is a one woman mini series and an endless endless drama with her. So they were a good combination. So I think I was very careful in how I built those characters up. Um, I knew they'd be returning again and again as well. So you need to make sure that you set up plot lines that can run through the series that can be interesting and and can appeal to readers. Um, So I think my approach was probably more technical than for romance. Um, I think, you know, if you take the premise of my first book, which was about a a woman who's about to leave her husband and then he has a stroke and she has to stay and care for him. Um, I used to be an NHS manager, by the way. That's why so many of my books, I think, feature illness in hospitals. It's not that I'm naturally drawn to those environments. <laughs> I just make that clear. Um, but, um, but yeah, if you take that one, then that's kind of a much more emotionally driven plot, whereas crime is obviously finding the clues, working out the inconsistencies, figuring out the motives. There's a real energy to that that I find really fun to, to work through. Um, and it gives me certainly an energy and a kind of intellectual challenge as an author that I'm really enjoying. Um, it's not that they weren't there with romantic fiction. It's just that I, I feel at the moment for me, this is the right fit. Um, so I think that's how my, my approach has differed. I was probably much more technical. And that's, again, why I prepped so long with crime for two, you know, for the two months so that I can really work it all through and feel confident that it's all going to fly. With romantic fiction, I just dived in. It did not end well on many occasions. (laughs) I just dived in um, and got going. Definitely would go back and do it very differently if I were doing it. Now I've learned so much from writing crime. It's been really good for my for my writing um, skills and the way that I apply myself. I kind of wish I knew this when I started out. Um, You know, when was that? 2015. My first novel was published, so it's a while ago now. but yeah, I, I, I think I could have done things very differently and perhaps made books flow a lot better. Um, much as I love, you know, the books that I've written so far, definitely. I think, I think I've learned a lot through probably just through actually, you know, doing courses online and reading um, craft books about writing. You know, every single one that you read, you pick up a tip that, that really helps. And, and I put in all of that work around the time that I changed genre. And I think, it, yeah, it's definitely reaped huge benefits um, for the books that I'm writing now. And yeah, if I ever were to go back, you never know. I love, as I said, I adore romantic fiction. Um, I would definitely take those take those ideas with me. I think it would make my books better. Let's talk about more about how not to murder your ex. Um, <laughs> uh, so you, you spoke about doing research and asking those what if questions uh when you've got when you've woken up in the middle of the night with this idea of uh what would happen if you told everyone you wanted to kill your ex and then suddenly he turns up dead on your doorstep right what um what happens next what questions are you asking yourself in this thorough two-month block of planning well, I'm asking myself, okay, if she didn't do it. Well, initially, I was actually asking myself if she did. Maybe she did. So I went through that whole, you know, line of thought. Um, and then how would she have done it and what would have happened? And I was still asking myself, okay, how can I make this even worse for her? Oh, right. Okay. She's menopausal. She can literally, and drunk, she could have genuinely forgotten where she was when it happened. So she's got no alibi. Um, and then I was asking myself who obviously did do it why they did it, how I could disguise that, how I could surprise the reader. 
in that whole side of the plot and then how the trio of detectives could work it out, how they'd be feeling about it, how their various issues in their own lives, i.e. Amber, who's a detective who's just been fired, what she, you know, what her motive would be, how much she'd be trying to prove that actually she could solve this before the police who fired her. So I was really working out how to bring in a lot of color, um, a lot of fun as well. You know, where could I, what could I have them doing? You know, Jeannie's terrified of water. How can I, that's one of, that's the IVF tired mum. How can I put her in a position where she has to face that in order to save her friend? Um, That was what, those are the kinds of questions I was asking. And it's funny, like now you have the book, you know, I have the book in my hand and I think like, it couldn't have taken me that long, could it? But it did. It took me, it took me a full couple of months to figure out all the all the areas of the plot and how I wanted them to work. And um, the style of, you know, it's told alternately from each detective's point of view came pretty quickly. I knew I wanted to enter all of their heads because they're all fun characters for me to write. And, and I think they are, I don't love this word, but quite relatable. Um, so I wanted you in their heads. And then the, the, the fact that I tell some of the the countdown to death chapters from Gary's perspective. That is unusual in cozy crime. And I just really wanted to do it because he was so appalling. It's therefore a joy to write. I mean, anything, anyone bad, you know, any bad thought I'd ever had or a friend had ever had went straight into Gary. He's a shocking human being, which, which basically means that, you know, there's any number of people who would want him dead. He is that bad. So, that was fun as well. You know, I put a lot of red herrings into his chapters just to try and confuse the reader as to who might have done it. Uh, I, I know that you, you, you do plot quite thoroughly, right? Uh, having spoken to some crime and thriller authors, or any author really, they'll tell you quite quickly, um, characters don't always play ball. They don't always do what you want them to do. How frequently did that happen writing this novel? Or were they were they pretty keen to uh, to all get together? Cleo, absolutely, the failed actress, absolutely never plays ball. She will always do the thing I don't really want her to do. She genuinely just, it's almost like I don't really have to think when I'm writing Cleo. <laughs> I have a horrible feeling that I might be slightly like her, <laughs> um, which I wouldn't, as an introvert author, surprises me because she's very dramatic. Um, but I think maybe she's kind of, a tiny little child version of me. Um, so she, I don't really have to think, she was always just saying things that I wasn't expecting her to say. I find dialogue super fun to write. It's my easiest section of writing books. I love it. I could honestly write dialogue, a whole book in dialogue. Um, so quite often their conversations would surprise me. Um, in terms of the plot, as I said, there was one extra thing that came in at the end that I wasn't really expecting. Um, and I, yeah, it did, it did happen. I think around the plot less so because I am so forensic in how I work things out. But yeah, around dialogue, characteristics, memories of the, of the trio and, and obviously Gary himself, he was just a monster. He just, he just strode, strode into the book, did his Gary thing, died. And I, he just, he always surprised me with how terrible he could actually be as a human. Well, very quick question. How long did it take you to come up with the name Gary for such a a, a mean man? It's weird. I don't know any Garys. Um, genuinely none in my life. No, 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 no. Yeah, no. There, There's some like crazy statistic that there's been no new Garys since about 1981 or something ludicrous. What? Well, I'm, I'm going <laughs> oh to remember how many Garys are there in the UK. Uh, all right. Okay. So for some reason, the latest statistic is a... Uh, uh, right. 28 British-born boys were named Gary in 2013. So, 10 years ago... What happened to Gary's? Gar- uh, well, they're all arsehole killers, I think. <laughs> um, or what, what, whatever your Gary does. Well, anyway, so how did it, how did you come to settle upon the name Gary? It just it, He was Gary. I didn't really have much choice. The names, again, come to me without me really trying. So, Clear, Amber and Jeannie is my trio. And then, like, Gary was just there. He just was a Gary. I don't know, but given I don't know any, it's a bit weird. I don't know. And I'm worried now because I've suddenly realized that my husband has a friend called Gary, <laughs> who I've never met. And I'm like, oh, God, you're going to think that I based it on him. And obviously I didn't. Like to say that now, not on him. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It just, he is Gary. 
and this this is the kind of thing where I don't have any plan on names and all that stuff. It just it happens. Not in control of that. Well, yeah. No, that's fine. I do want to officially say, uh, if your name is Gary, um, I'm sure I'm sure, I'm sure you're a lovely person. Uh, listen, th- this show, which is quite wild, as it is a show that is all about the back end of writing, but this has been probably more process and theoretical than many others that we've done before. So, um, switching up your style, when uh, switching up the way you worked when you moved styles, you're now, uh, I guess finishing your second uh, kind of cozy crime book, maybe even getting towards your third. What have you learned from that first attempt that worked well? What might you want to change as you write more of these books? Um, What worked well was um, having, having characters with real depth in their own stories, um, plotting very heavily, um, and what have I learned? I've learned I need to make my chapters shorter. I do tend to waffle slightly. So I'm now cutting my chapters at 2000 words. I think Catherine Isaac told me that once. And actually, it's really, really good advice. Don't ever go over 2000 words. Um, for a kind of cry, or if you want your plot to keep moving, even to the extent of like chopping in the middle of a scene and moving to a different perspective. Um, that works really well. Um, having a really, kind of juicy comedy setup. My second one is based on a hen weekend and there's a dead body on the dance floor. And, you know, it's all, so you've kind of got a lot of uh, humor going on already just in kind of hen weekend vibes. There's a stag weekend in the same club and there's a lot of stuff going on between the two. So just having a really good comic backdrop to um, any kind of murder that I set up, I find I've definitely upped that in the second book. Um, and I think, yeah, just actually keeping it really, really pacey. My editor is very good at that. She's like, this is too long now. <laughs> just, like, just, just cut this chapter back. Um, and, and keep the kind of the jokes coming. So I think that has really helped as well. Kind of just the, trying to keep the pace moving, making sure something exciting happens in each chapter, the plot moves forward, but also that the characters develop at the same time. Thank you so much to Katie Marsh for chatting through her brand new book. It's called How Not to Murder Your Ex, and it is out right now. We'll be back with a brand new author at the same time next week. You can support the show at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Get 10% off the brilliant software Plotter 2 at go.plotter.com slash routine. You can get in touch with us at writersroutine.com. Click on the contact page there and I will see you next week with a brand new author on the show. Until then, bye. Bye.